Hello everyone, I'm Alex Gonzalez and welcome to The Disruptor Studio where we feature amazing leaders that inspire innovation, transformation, and greatness. And this is a special edition of The Disruptor Studio recorded live from Dig South, which this year was actually virtually live, but still in front of a live audience at the Dig South conference, normally in Charleston. And our guest today is Katie Grigg, who leads business operations for Atlanta United. And look, it's no secret that I'm a huge Atlanta United fan, not just because of what they do on the pitch uh, for the beautiful sport of soccer, but because of the amazing people like Katie that run this club and took it from a club that did not exist years ago to now a leader on and off the pitch and an incredible brand with global presence. The reality is when you watch any sport, such as soccer, you usually just think about the people that you see on TV or that you're watching when you're sitting in the stadium. But behind the scenes at Atlanta United is Katie Griggs. Katie runs all of business ops for Atlanta United. That really means pretty much anything that does not have something to do with the soccer ball. Whether it's marketing or social media or ticket sales or fan experience or state and operations on match day, whatever it is, Katie Griggs is behind it. Yet, Katie does not necessarily come from a sports background, and she self-admittedly said she was not really good playing soccer when she was young. So how does someone like Katie go on to be one of the top executives at a sports, big sports brand like Atlanta United? And we're going to talk a little bit more about Katie's journey to Atlanta United during our conversation. We're also going to talk about the fan experience and the importance of creating such an experience, which is such an essential part of Atlanta United's brand. We'll talk about being part of this growing brand and still having this startup feel even as they scale and get success. We're going to talk about leading and living during a pandemic and how Katie is getting through that and how she helps her team. And we'll also talk about being a bridge between generations at work and also being a bridge between the club and fans. And we'll also really get into how Katie stays inspired and some of her favorite things as well. So this was recorded at Dig South with a virtual audience. There'll be some great Q&A along the way. So here it is, the special edition of the Disruptor Studio live from Dig South with Katie Griggs. And hello, everyone, and welcome to the Disruptor Studio here live at Dig South. Very excited about doing this first time. And uh, we have a great conversation. So um, let's bring in Katie Griggs. First of all, how, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I think I'm doing about the same as a lot of other people on the call where I, I wish the world was a different place right now. But I do right. think if you want to find a silver lining, there is a tremendous opportunity for innovation right now. It's pushing our team to think very differently about what we do, why we do it, how we do it. And while some things may be specific to this weird COVID environment that we're living in today, uh, I'm very confident a lot of them are truly going to be transformational in terms of the way we think about our business going forward. Absolutely. And and that kind of brings us a little bit to your role. And first of all, you know, I'm wearing my Atlanta United, you know, one of my Atlanta, many Atlanta United shirts here, as, as Katie knows, I'm a, you know, super fan here um, in Atlanta for uh, for the club. Uh, I want to talk about your role, but just in case someone for some weird, bizarre reason has no idea what Atlanta United is. Yeah. Talk about what Atlanta United is, how it fit, and just I think it's important kind of in context, how does it fit within this thing called Major League Soccer and really global soccer? I'd be happy to. So um, for anyone who's not familiar with this, Atlanta United is a club within Major League Soccer. Um, we had our first season in 2017, so we're a new club. And I think one of the things that's interesting is 
as Major League Soccer has evolved, sort of the theory and the way in which the clubs who have joined it have continued to evolve with it. So it's something where I'm very confident that the league is in a stronger place than it was five, 10 years ago and will be stronger five or 10 years from now than it is today. Putting it into perspective, one of the things we've been able to accomplish here in Atlanta is really, I think, when we first, it was first announced in 2014 that Atlanta was going to get a soccer team. Um, Arthur Blank is our owner. I think many, if not all of you should know, he is the former, he is the co-founder of the Home Depot. He is an entrepreneur at heart. He is also the owner of the Atlanta Falcons. And he committed to doing this right from the beginning, where uh, basically the way he looked at it was, despite the fact that we weren't going to play till 2017, he started investing and bringing on staff to build this brand way back in about 2015. And with that in mind, it really allowed us an opportunity to figure out what is the market, what's the niche, and really prove a lot of people wrong. We're expecting that soccer in the South simply wasn't going to be a thing. Um, so to that end, as of last year, we now hold all of the top 10 regular season attendance records in Major League Soccer. Every single one of them was an Atlanta United home game. We have the most attended regular season match ever. We have the most attended match ever, which was about 73,000 people for the 2018 MLS Cup, which we did win in our second season. So it's been really exciting to see the way in which that the club has come out and putting it in the context of global soccer. I mean, clearly, we are not nearly as well established as a club or as a league as the English Premier League or La Liga or a lot of those other um, clubs and leagues around the world. However, as of last year, Atlanta United was the 10th most attended club in the world if you looked at attendance over a rolling five-year average, which is pretty exciting. And I think something where, as we're looking forward to events like the 2026 World Cup, and as Atlanta is in the running to potentially be a host city for that, I think these are the types of things that really do show the potential for soccer to continue to grow here in the U.S. So um, I want to get kind of how uh, your role there. Um, uh, but first of all, I want to uh, just remind our live audience uh, uh, watching here to make sure to Send your start sending your questions uh, on the Q and A tab there, and uh, as we'll definitely want to get to them uh, uh, during our discussion and later during the discussion here. So yeah, so um, we're going to definitely get into this this incredible journey um, because you make it sound so simple, but you know to become one of these what I say is one of the most incredible, if not the best sports brand or even brand launches really that we've seen in a while, um, and that entrepreneurial energy you talk about that I think Arthur Blank brings in. Um, but talk about your role. How, how do you fit in? And should people be calling you if they don't like a certain, you know, uh, you know, lineup during during a, you know, a Saturday match? <laughs> well, they're, they're welcome to call me. I'm not just going to be able to do a whole lot for them. Um, so my role is really a grab bag. So the easiest way to think about the way in which we're structured is we have our president, Darren Eels, who's responsible effectively for anything and everything Atlanta United. Um, underneath him, you have Carlos Bocanegra, who's our technical director. Anything associated with player selection, salary cap management, coaching, our second team, which was referenced earlier, mm -hmm. as well as our seven academy teams. So we do have a free-to-play academy um, starting with U12, so little kids all the way up. Um, all of that rolls up under Carlos. Everything else on the business side falls under me. So really trying to be that connective tissue to ensure that we are creating a positive fan experience and also a profitable, running a profitable business. So, you know, I like to say, like I think you said before, so anything that does not involve a soccer ball is really, you know, kind of you, which which is pretty massive. I mean, I imagine a typical Saturday or Sunday or Wednesday night whenever you're playing a match at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, 
you're not really watching. The no, I think that's, that's perhaps one of the uh, fallacies of people who are hoping to work in sports is that, you know, whenever we're talking, when I'm talking to individuals who are pursuing interest in pursuing careers, I yeah. think the first thing I say is being a fan is you may not want this job because the reality is I don't get to actually sit down and watch and enjoy most of the games. Now, mind you, there are infinite number of aspects about my role that I truly enjoy that are incredibly unique to the world of sports. And I'm very, very thankful for that. But it is match days, you're working, you're running around, it's firefighting, it's ensuring that everyone else on the team has what they need and ensuring that our fans have an absolutely superlative experience. Now, um, you, you are, um, and, you know, and by the way, I've, I've gotten to know Katie over the years and she's amazing and she's amazingly humble for really holding one of the most uh, you know, senior positions, definitely in the South in, in, in sports. Um, so, but Katie, um, you did not have a sports lineage and, 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 you know, and actually you just talked about Darren Eels, who's a president and really the architect of this incredible Atlanta United. And he was on the first Disruptor Studio. And specifically in that studio, and that wasn't in front of what that's when we were able to gather, and we had a live audience, and you were sitting there, and it referred to you as um, how important it was to bring someone like you onto the team because, in fact, you did not come from sports. So, did you ever imagine you would be a sports executive? And and kind of what what, what was your journey here to 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 Atlanta United? No, I think look, it was really back when I was getting my MBA where I chose to focus my energies on trying to break into the world of sports. Before that, I was a very boring strategy consultant in New York. Um, So it really did come down to, it wasn't that it was a lifelong passion where my goal was going to be running a sports team. Um, And I know that, knew that since I was 12 years old. Um, For me, it's really been about crafting a career around opening doors versus closing them. I like learning. I like trying new things. I've had the opportunity to hold a variety of different roles in a variety of different sectors. For me, the attraction of sports really is, it is something that is an, truly an intrinsic motivator of people. People care about it because they just do, right? Mm-hmm. When you're looking at marketing something, when the world of sports, it's one of those unique things where I, I like to say that you can really use sports to harness emotion and harness power, hopefully for good, um, and do incredible things as a result. So it's Having the opportunity to work in sports um, has been something that I've been passionate about for a while. I've worked in the sports realm for probably the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years now, but starting on the broadcast and media side more than on the team. This was my first opportunity moving over to team. I'm definitely not in soccer endemic. I played. I was terrible. Um, That being said, um, really, it was the opportunity to come into a club. I've been in Atlanta for 11 years now. It's where my son and daughter were born. This is my home. And having the opportunity to have an impact and really actually be a part of something that's impacting our community for good is an incredible experience. And working for Darren and an owner like Arthur Blank is truly cherry on top. So when you were not, when you're in like a, in, in high school or getting your bachelor's degree, I mean, did, did was even if it wasn't sports, you mentioned that it was really when you're getting your master's, you're thinking of going to sports. But it, what was what did you think you're going to be when you grow, grew up? What was your dream then? I didn't know. I That's didn't. I, I love that. Actually, I love that answer. No, I was one of those people who, you know, I think intellectual curiosity was something that has been a part of me for a long time. I, if anyone anyone who knows me well knows, I ask a lot of questions. Um, and so for me, it was really about learning. You know, I went in when I was getting getting my undergraduate degree, I ended up effectively defaulting into an international relations major 
because I had the most credit to the point at which I had to make a decision. And again, part of the appeal of it for me was just an intrinsic sort of opportunity to learn about how different people engage and what motivates people and how do you influence behavior. So I think that's been the common thread of all of the aspects of my career is truly in different sectors, different forms, different roles. How do you leverage whatever your product is or whatever your business is and inflect human behavior around it, right? Yeah. Or want to influence human behavior. And that that's really been the common thread, but sports obviously because of that sort of intrinsic motivator um, is something where you have a unique opportunity to really do some cool stuff. Yeah. And, and kind of getting into this cool stuff, um, you know, kind of going into your, to this journey of Atlanta United, um, you know, you right now the, the club is so successful that the standards are so high for the fans that it's like, what do you mean we didn't get a trophy, you know? So, which is, you know, I guess a, a great place to be, but arriving on the scene, you know, there's really change you had to drive, you know, in terms of um, how Major League Soccer, you know, thought about club, about, you know, the perception of soccer in the South. Um, so maybe talk about how your role kind of helps guide this kind of change journey that you had to take really the industry as you shaped this club, which effectively was a startup, a well-funded startup, but still a startup. No, I mean, that's what I keep telling people. It really, I mean, we were a startup. We are a startup. We're still, I mean, if you think about it, as I mentioned, our first season was 2017. So this is this is still a very new club, a very new franchise. We're in our fourth season right now. Um, by no means do I think that we're done, right? And so to that, to, to your question about how do you actually think about that cultural evolution and that cultural change, I think the very starting point was, Historically, you know, when you think about the major leagues in sports, it's football, it's baseball, it's basketball, and depending on what part of the country, maybe it's hockey. Um, it's generally not major league soccer. I mean, the reality is historically that has been put on the same platform. Um, it's still not there, though I think it's making good strides in that direction. For us and for Arthur, I think one of the things that was most important was we felt that we had to enter the market and behave like we were one of the big kids, right? If we didn't have faith that soccer could be as big in Atlanta, Georgia, as the NFL, as the NBA, as MLB, no one else was going to believe it either, right? You know, that it truly is something where you have to sort of project what you are expecting others to see. Um, and I think there were a lot of opportunities in a lot of places where, you know, decisions could have been made differently that would have negatively impacted our ability to be perceived as one of the big guys. So, you know, the reality is when we, we've sold out every match we've ever had, I mean, our average attendance last season was more than 52,000 people. Yeah. That's the expectation, right? That's not something where it's saying, Oh, it's a surprise. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're incredibly thankful. Um, but it is one of those things where we expect it to be successful and not because we're cocky and not because we think that we, know lots of things that other people don't, but because that was the expectation. Arthur would not have gotten into the space if he wasn't confident we could succeed. And so I really do think projecting that into the world and making decisions reflecting the fact that we perceive ourselves to be on the same tier as everyone else. And if you look at the way in which we cover our sport, look at the way in which our organization is staffed, it's staffed with that in mind. Now, a kind of a central <clears throat> thread um to Atlanta United appears to be really this passionate uh, fan base. Um, and, um, and you know, customer experience, of course, is a hot term and is central to so many companies, whether they're tech or, or CPG even. 
but definitely fan experience, which is the term that we would use here is essential for you. And you are responsible for this fan experience. <clears throat> so talk about how you really harnessed this powerful fan experience um, and, and even using kind of traditional, you know, it's funny talking about digital as traditional tools now, but even how you harness like digital to, to uh, even before the club started to, to, to drive this passionate fan base, this fan experience, uh, to build up Atlanta United? You know, it's it's interesting. I think when we talk about the fan experience, part of it is defining your core product, right? You know, yes, for us, the soccer that's happening on pitch is what people are coming for. But the reality is, if you look at a market like Atlanta, there are not 70 some odd thousand people who I think would describe themselves as avid soccer folks who are coming to watch a soccer game. I think one of the reasons we've been able to be so successful is it's a really unique environment. So for anyone who hasn't had the opportunity to observe or attend one of our matches, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think the, the way I would describe it as someone who grew up in uh, ACC basketball country is it sort of has that student section atmosphere in terms of there is just our supporters, which they're about, well, there's thousands of them, but there's about, there's a supporter section of 7,000 fans. They've got flags, they've got instruments, they're chanting the entire match. It really has that same sort of energy epicenter effect that you get from a student section, whether you're talking about SEC football, ACC basketball, or the like. Um, and so I think there are a lot of people who perhaps didn't know anything, didn't care about soccer, but had the opportunity to come to a match and really enjoyed the experience. And as a result of enjoying that experience, they came back, they brought friends, and gradually they're learning the sport of soccer. And I think right. that was key to us, was realizing that we had to create a product on pitch that was authentic and would be exciting and engaging for soccer endemics and people who are those soccer purists who know it. If we didn't get them on board, we knew we had missed the boat. But we also didn't want to be looking down our nose at those who, frankly, didn't know a lot about soccer. It's really about creating that inclusive environment where whether or not you grew up playing soccer, you know every single thing that's going on all the time, or whether you have literally no clue what's going on on the pitch other than the ball should go in the goal, yeah. probably the goal that's not your own. It's fine and it's a welcoming experience. And I think that trying to maintain that and real being very careful about our messaging and our tone has been really key. Yeah, and it's interesting you talk about messaging and tone because I think it's so easy, it seems like it would be, to rest on the laurels of the energy inside Mercedes-Benz Stadium or, you know, wherever you're at um, from the fan base. But it, it's, how, how did you keep making sure that kind of, Atlanta United experience extended beyond Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you know, because 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 you, you also bring something interesting too is it, you've you've done an incredible job at also bringing the non-soccer experts into in, into become passionate fans and all of a sudden arguing about offsides calls. But part of that is also um, you know how you nurtured this experience outside of the stadium. So how how did you kind of approach that? Yeah, and this is one where I, I won't take full credit because I was I had the opportunity to join that first season. But looking at the team that was in place, and again, I turned to Darren as really the champion. And I know he talked about this in the Disruptor Studio with you. you know, he, he jokes that if he's ever writing a book on this, it's going to be calling pub, called Pub Crawling Your Way to Success. Right. Um, for us, I mean, the reality is if you looked at the where, where soccer avids were in the city of Atlanta prior to the start of Atlanta United joining, you know, you're at those English pubs on Saturday morning watching EPL games, right? That's that's where they are. If you had international play, you'd go when the U.S. men's or women's national teams were playing. And those were really just cheap and easy focus groups, right? You had those people all in one place. You could go get to know them. What, what matters to them? What's important to them? 
The important part from there, though, is actually listening, right? So when we were crafting our product, when we were crafting that experience, you know, we have four registered supporter groups, each of which have thousands of members. We have monthly meetings with those leaders. And these are people who literally have tattooed their body with Atlanta United um, logos, marks, what have you. Um, They're diehard, avid fans. But they were, they were our influencers, right? These were people who were from the beginning. We talked to them. We listened. We responded. And we built a product around what they cared about. And so when we actually had the opportunity to open up, they were there right behind us bringing friends, right? They were the ones out in the community because as with any startup, you know, we did not and do not have an unlimited budget. Um, even when you have an amazing owner like Arthur Blank, it's still a business. Um, and so from that perspective, it was really important to build that foundational relationship. And, you know, I, I describe that dynamic now as we're gardeners, right? When you're talking about the energy they're creating in the stadium, when you're talking about the work that's being done in the community of Atlanta, whether it's match day or not, you know, they're driving it. We're not telling them what to do. We're not telling them how to chant, what to chant. Now, mind you, we're telling them what not to do sometimes. But I mean, they're little, I mean, crazy things that I never anticipated I'd do in my career, like writing discrete policies on when and where and how it's acceptable to throw beer. Didn't realize I was actually going to be doing that. Um, but it is something where we're working in collaboration with them to ensure that they're successful because if they're successful, we're successful. So it's really been a great dynamic because I would, but I would push us, push and say, we are truly a fan powered and fan driven business and we respect that relationship. And, and, and I think Katie, this is where your experience even outside of sports comes into it. Cause this being customer, I like to call it customer obsessed, you know, or fan obsessed is central to it really tells your team what to do to some extent. And that curation aspect I think is so essential um, because you're finding that right balance of what's fan powered and when do I need to guide them, you know, beer, beer throwing policy, but you know, what's our personality in social media? How do we react? So I think that's, that's great. Now, one thing, again, I think, um, you know, just in a few short years, the team has had tremendous success. You've, you know, mentioned both, both on the pitch, you know, uh, you know, MLS cup champions, um, you know, multiple, I think three trophies now. Three trophies. Yeah. Three trophies. And um, and also, um, I believe uh, the Miguel Amaron transaction was is is that still or what, is one of the largest MLS transactions? Well, right? yeah. And and for those who don't know, uh, Miguel Amaron, you know, one of the original players of Atlanta United, and is now over in the English Premier League. Uh, high transaction fees, playing great by the way, as we as we speak here. Um, so many successes. Fan expectation is high. I guess question for you as a leader then is when you've achieved so much success in such a short period of time, how do you keep your team continuing to want innovating and reinventing? Because it's easy to rest on your laurels and kind of go into cruise control. So how do you keep your team motivated to keep changing uh, going forward? Yeah, I think part of it is that's not how I'm wired. That's not yeah. how Darren's wired. That's not how Arthur Blank is wired. And so from a yeah. leadership perspective, I think none of us, none of us just intuitively are like, oh, great, we've done it. We'll walk, just sort of put it in cruise control and assume that, you know, if we've built it, now they'll come. That's not, that's not how it works. And so when right. we're looking at our associates, I think they're two pronged. One is when you're actually bringing on staff, you know, that mentality is something that's important, is someone who is intellectually curious, is someone who is looking for new and different ways to do it, is finding people who are comfortable talking. This is, I think, especially you'd mentioned sort of going to the world of COVID right now. No one's done this before. 
right? right. There is no right answer. I don't know. Darren doesn't know. Arthur doesn't know. It doesn't mean that we don't have good ideas. It doesn't mean that some of them won't work. Some of them probably won't. Um, that being said, the, the best idea could come from an intern, right? And so creating that environment and that culture inside the building where regardless of who you are, regardless of your whether you're in ticket sales, sponsorship sales, event day operations, digital, social marketing, you feel comfortable and confident raising your hand and saying, hey, I've got an idea about how I can make this better. And you feel comfortable raising that up the chain. Like that's really, really key to us um, because otherwise, like I said, I, I cannot be the sole repository of good ideas. That's not something I'm talented enough to do. And so it really is about creating and relying on a team to feel comfortable and be able to do that themselves as well. Right. Um, and by the way, for our live audience, just uh, don't forget to, uh, you have the opportunity to ask some questions. So make sure you go to Q&A and um, post it and we'll uh, incorporate it as we talk here. Uh, so, you know, uh, Katie, you mentioned COVID. Um, and obviously, um, you know, I think it goes without saying that's first a massive health crisis that we're facing and which has also led to, to a business crisis. But obviously health is, you know, uh, you know, first and foremost in our minds here. But um, so you're leading a team that's focused on getting people in, you know, together in stadiums and experiences. And let's forget about a team or a business model that's based on experiential elements and and um, and a lot of items. And COVID hits. And so, first of all, talk about for you as a leader and also just as a, a as a mother and 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 wife. How did you process this pandemic? And then how did you bring that forward to your team and the organization to help it begin getting through this? Okay. Yeah, I think it's like anyone. Some days I process and handle it poorly. <laughs> yeah. um, that being said, I think the reality is this is the world we live in right now. So not liking it, frankly, is irrelevant. It won't change my business outcomes. And so it really does come down to going and saying, all right, this is the world we're in. What are our options going forward? And I think, again, to that mentality of creating a culture where innovation is part of everyone's job, regardless of who or what who you are or what your day job is, you know, it is something where there's a lot of opportunity right now, right? From a business perspective, this is going to be a tough year for us, period and end of story. I'm in the mass gatherings business. Mass gatherings are not exactly a hot property right now. Um, that being said, part of it is realizing, okay, this is where we are. We're going to come back at some point. What does that look like? How do we do it? How do we take the time to actually reflect and say, okay, as a startup, and I'm sure folks, the other folks who are in the in startups now or in the past understand this mentality of you sort of get off the ground, you're running, people are picking up balls, you know, and you're just making things happen. And for us, we've been incredibly fortunate that that, that took us a really long way. But we're at an interesting inflection point where from a scale standpoint, and from a maturity standpoint, and frankly, from an expectation standpoint, there are opportunities where the way in which we've done things simply because they sort of organically evolved in that direction may actually not be the best path for us going forward. There may be some way where we, from a procedural standpoint, where we could or should be doing things differently or thinking about things differently, because that will help take us from where we are today to where we want to go tomorrow. Right. So I think from a sort of silver lining standpoint, We've actually had the time to really dig in on some of the what, you know, the why do we do what we do, right? And figure out, okay, just because this is the way we've done it to date, is this the way we want to do it going forward? 
And the answer in some cases is yes. The answer in a lot of cases is not necessarily. Yeah. So I think that's actually been a really good opportunity. But for us, it's, you know, it's letting people have bad days, right? All of us, this is hard. I have two small kids at home. I'm working remotely. My husband's working re- remotely. School is in question for the fall. That's hard, right? And I understand like from a staff standpoint, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you're living alone with roommates, with significant others, family, you know, everyone's going to have tough days. And I think giving folks room to breathe, but also setting the expectation that, you know what, we're going to get through this and it's going to be okay. And really leading from that perspective, you know, has been, has been my approach, whether it's the right one or not, I'll, I'll get back to you whenever this is done, but that's been my approach. Yeah. And I think you mentioned something that's important. It's a, you have an organization and then you're from a leadership perspective is being able to focus, you know, continuing to focus in the future, which frankly, I think helps give people hope within the organization as well. Right. Because it's not just, you know, you have to deal with it today, but how do we focus on the future as well? So speaking of your team as well, kind of pivoting a little bit here, but um uh, speaking of Darren, he once he once mentioned, or actually, one thing you mentioned, you and I talked before, is that sometimes you are a generational bridge. You have a very young team. Uh, you, when I say young team, meaning your actual you know business team. You know, a lot of players are pretty young too. Yeah, the players are definitely young. I'm not even going to get there. Very young. Um, you know, and all of a sudden you find the players the same age as your own kids. I, I just say that they're young, and I'm not getting old. That's a whole different thing. But um, but talk about how because uh, you've done an incredible job harnessing, you know, people talk about how do you work with millennials and Gen Z and all that. But you've done an incredible job harnessing, um, you know, uh, young talent to to have a massive impact on the global brand. But you talk about sometimes you have to be a generational bridge. Talk about that a little bit. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, our our staff is is young. We have a we, we definitely have a I mean. I would say the majority of the individuals with whom I work on a regular basis are in their 20s. Um, the, there are a lot of upsides of that, right? They're coming fresh. They're coming without preconceived notions that they do or don't know things, which sometimes can be challenging, but more often presents opportunities. Um, they also, though, are coming from the perspective of they care. You know, I think if, you know, when you look at a lot of sort of the typical sort of conversation around that millennial or Gen Z workforce. It's, oh, they're, you know, it's, it's emotional, right? It's emotional. They expect different things. I think they expect more of themselves and they expect more of others, mm-hmm. right? You know, and as someone who is just on the cusp, I think I'm a, technically a millennial in a Gen X clothing. Uh, that being said, um, I think one of the things that's really been key is harnessing that passion, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of tamping it down and saying, no, you can't do it this way. Why? Because that's not how it's done. It's finding the opportunities where I can say yes, right? Finding those opportunities where we can try new things. We're young, you know, we're in an emerging sport. You know, we are still a young brand. Like I said earlier, I don't have all the answers. And I think there, you know, for me, it really comes down to setting that culture where it's, you know, the way I'm always talking about it with my team is it's, you know, fail small, fail fast, fail once, right? It's, taking, it's giving people those opportunities to really try new and different things. Some of them won't work. A lot of them may not work, but some of them might. And so if, as long as you're looking at it through that lens of giving people those opportunities where they can learn, they can try new things, they can grow, but holding them accountable to the fact that, okay, we've done something, it didn't work. That doesn't mean you get to try the same thing over and over and over again and hope for a different outcome. It's You've got to learn from that. You've got to evolve and you've got to move on to the next thing. But I think... Finding that balance and finding those opportunities to say yes 
more often than we're saying no has been really, really important. And it really seems like uh, centers on this perspective. I think that as an organization you have is embracing diverse perspectives, um, both that from your fan base and also also your teams, which help fuel your your what you do in your innovation. Which actually brings out you know someone had a great question um, about you have an incredibly diverse fan base, which, you know, I think, you know, Atlanta United, and I, I remember being around when the name first launched and some people loved it. Some people were like, well, what does that mean? And yet when you see it, when you go into Mercedes-Benz Stadium, um, it is really a reflection of, you know, of Atlanta and in terms of race, ethnicity, gender, whether people like the, even understand the sport or not. So was that an intentional, um, this is a question, was that an, an intentional goal by management to, to do that or did that develop organically or maybe a little bit of both? I'd say it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think sort of to what we discussed previously, one of our key sort of tenets of who we are as a brand is inclusivity, right? And inclusivity regardless of demographics, inclusivity regardless of knowledge of groups of soccer. You know, it is, this is supposed to be an experience where Whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever your personal situation, you can come, you can feel safe, you can feel included, and you can have a great time. Period and end of story. That is that is just a hard and fast line that we've taken from the very beginning. And we it, that is still where we are today. Um, that being said, I also think it's something that's a little bit intrinsic to the nature of the sport itself. When you look at soccer, despite the fact that historically I think it's been the next big thing in the US, allegedly for the last like 30 years or something. But if you look across the world, soccer is the sport. So right. especially in a town that has a sort of a young uh, international component to it, like Atlanta does, you have a lot of people who have to move to Atlanta either for those Fortune 500 employers or for the different universities around. You know, we have a very international um, composition here in Atlanta. From, and I think having a lot of those people who, again, different perspective, different background, different colors, different races, you know, it's, it's coming together, set an expectation from that very first game. But I think that is something that is part of the sport of soccer and a little bit unique is that, you know, because it's the biggest sport almost everywhere else in the world, you know, by definition, you have people from all parts of the world who are interested in actually attending. And I think that was something from which we could build a really strong foundation as well. Because if you see people who look like you, you see people who reflect your personal experiences, you are likely to feel more comfortable. And I think that's one of the things where, you know, I know diversity is a very, very hot topic right now. And with very good reason, when we look at it, I mean, whether we're talking about how we staff internally in our HR and hiring practices or whether we, how we put on an event, diversity makes us stronger, right? It's understanding those different viewpoints because I can only see the world through my lens. I can talk to people. I can try to understand the life experiences of others, but my, my personal worldview is my own. I need to surround myself with people who have different worldviews because if you look at the city of Atlanta, it is so diverse. There's so many amazing people with amazing backgrounds that the more that we can craft a, a staff internally that reflects those life experiences, it's going to make us smarter. It's going to make us better. And I think we've done a good job of that. I think there's still room for us to improve. Right. That's perfect. I think so. And I, and, and I think you really are. You're doing an amazing job with that. And I encourage people to look, you know, come to LA United match and we can again. You can see it in action. Uh, another question that came in and I'm going to change it a little bit, just uh, interest of time, because there's a few more things I want to ask you before we wrap up. But uh, when contacted by other teams, what are the first three things you say about what worked for the building support for the team? Maybe let's make it. What's the most important thing you tell people 
um, about how you built support for the team when other clubs contact you, other expansion clubs, for instance? Don't assume you're smarter than your fans, Mm. right? Listen to them. I mean, for us, our fans are consumer, right? So regardless of whether you're in the sports, you're in CPG, you're running a retail, it doesn't matter. You've got your core audience. You've got your core demographic who's coming and purchasing your product. In our case, our product is predominantly ticket sales. We've got the B2B product on the sponsorship side. where It's all about those brand, brand linkages and hospitality. And we've got retail. Those are sort of our three primary sort of monetization engines. Um, understand who your customers are. If they're telling you what they want, listen to them. That doesn't mean you're going to do everything, but there generally are kernels of truth and things that you can integrate. And I think when people feel heard, that's a really powerful motivator, right? And eventually when you're starting something from zero and therefore have zero fans or zero customers, you got to start somewhere. So to the extent that you can find those people who are really going to be sort of the core and get them on board because they feel like they were part of building something like truly part of it. They have a voice at the table. You know, I'm, I'm not the arbiter of everything for Atlanta United. It could very easily be something where I'm talking to our supporter. They have an idea. We execute against it. We do that all the time. And I think that's really, really important because that's something where you can then have those concentric circles of growth, but starting from that core fan who feels truly bought in and then becomes that brand advocate in the community. Yeah, perfect. Well, Katie, I just uh, we're we're coming up on time here, so just uh, I'm going to ask you a few things though to get a little bit behind Katie Griggs, and um, um, so some quick response questions. Um, okay. First of all, favorite sport other than soccer? Probably college football. There's a probably in there. There's a probably. So I mentioned that I hadn't gone into my career expecting yeah. to work in sports per se. I, I am and have always been a sports aficionado. I love sports. So for me, it really was picking gotcha. a favorite is hard. Gotcha. And, and you know, I was going to say, you could say esports now because you're also in charge of your esports team. I am. I am. I am learning. <laughs> that's okay. See, that's, that's, that's a Gen Xer in you, Kevin. I'm learning. I'm learning <laughs> esports. That's the uh, that's when you bridge into that side. So I get that. But We have a 16-year-old esports athlete signed who resides in Brazil. So who My I, son likes to say is one of the top in the world. He was, he was just as excited about that signing as it was, you know, getting Petey. So, you yeah. know, it's pretty yeah. great. Um, <laughs> all right. So favorite is, and this, of course, we had a lot of time to reflect on this, favorite movie or TV show? Oh, um. I've had the opportunity to rewatch a lot of TV shows right now. Um, let's see, Schitt's Creek was one that I particularly enjoyed just because it's upbeat, which I desperately needed. Movie is hard. Maybe Tombstone. Big oh, wow. Tombstone. Wow. Mm-hmm. And this is another one people had time to reflect during this pandemic. Favorite carryout food? Indian. Yeah, very good. Some good Indian food here. Indian. That's good. <laughs> Um, and and uh, what about what's your biggest pet peeve? The thing that just really gets you going? Apathy. Mm. Can't stand it. Can't stand it. My, my my poor team. I think it's one of those things where I will take almost anything if you're trying. If yeah. you care and if you try, I can work with that. Um, if you're mailing it in, it I, I do not handle that well. Which kind of makes sense with the ability to keep innovating and keep pushing and all that. So that's great. So that's so okay. And this, you could take a little bit more time. But, um, you know, I think just in this, these times now, uh, first of all, you're a person that needs to inspire a team to, that helps inspire others. And we're also at this time, there's so much going on. So what inspires you or where do you go for your own inspiration as a leader? I am a, I'm a water baby. So for me, it is actually trying to find time where I can 
get away, get on the water, even if it's just for a short period of time, it sort of helps me clear my head. Um, you know, I have two small kids. So at this point, you know, my son is, uh, my son's gotten good, pretty good at actually sitting on the paddleboard and not wiggling enough that we immediately both get tossed into the water. Um, but going in anytime I can just get outside, preferably get on the water, spend some time with my kids. That's, that's kind of my recharge. Well, well, that's, that's awesome. I hope we get to the water here very soon. Although I know you have a busy, busy times ahead, um, as well for this, uh, kind of innovation of what a season would look like. But so, so Katie, look, um, we could go on for, for hours and I'm looking forward to more conversations with you. Um, uh, you know, so when all of you who follow Atlanta United or now will be uh, know that uh, the person who really is pulling the strings, I'm giving Darren Neal's a hard time. It's really Katie, you know, that, that drives what's going on the experience. And uh, so make sure to, uh, you know, first of all, make sure to follow Atlanta United, check them out, uh, see, uh, check for updates on the new, uh, on the season coming up. Um, but Katie, I want to thank you for what you're doing, um, obviously for Atlanta United, also for the region, because I think Atlanta United does a lot to help, help drive. And thanks for your conversation today. I know some of the comments we received today and comments I've received before is you're really an inspiration. And I think your humility and authenticity really kind of carries through in everything you do, including this conversation. So thank you for being here on the Disruptor Studio at Dig South and, um, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for having me. That was Katie Gregg in the Disruptor Studio live at Dig South, which this year was a virtual conference, and hopefully we'll be able to get back to Charleston to record one of these again one day. But it was great to hear from Katie, and it was great to get some live questions from the audience, and I think you'll agree, Katie's just an amazing person. I'm a huge fan of the Atlanta United brand and the business and the sport, but I'm even a bigger fan of the people behind that amazing story, and Katie Griggs is definitely one of them. So, so make sure you keep an eye on what Katie is doing and an eye on Atlanta United, and if you have not heard the original, the very first Disruptor Studio featuring Atlanta United FC's president and architect, Darren Eels, make sure you do so. You can go to our YouTube channel and check that out, or you can subscribe here, and we will be replaying that full interview here shortly. So make sure you subscribe here to the Disruptor Studio so you get every podcast as soon as it drops. You will not miss any of these leaders that inspire innovation, transformation, and greatness. We'll join you again in two weeks. I'm Alex Gonzalez, and we'll see you soon.